You are listening to New Style Tea, where I make people drinks and they come up with things to talk about. Enjoy. So my name is Jessica Jin. Um, by day, I'm an immigration paralegal and I'm an aspiring writer by night. Um, and Amy was like kind enough to approach me after I posted a series on Facebook on some Asian and Asian American books that I recommended. I really enjoyed reading your book review, um, which was, uh, can, well, can you explain the idea behind it or just explain it for someone who probably isn't Facebook friends with you? Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, like, kind of after the anti-Asian violence, I was feeling like a lot of negative energy, um, a lot of, like, energy that I didn't know what to do with um so i decided to post on facebook but i didn't want to do like just like oh anti-asian violence is bad so i wanted to do something you know that like was more my thing i guess um so yeah i i posted for seven days about like some asian and asian american books i recommended um and these are books that have like meant a lot to me and books that have, like, really, um, I feel like they've, like, made an Asian or Asian-American interiority much more rich and vivid to me. Mm-hmm. And I want to share that with other people. So, I mean, because my dad doesn't talk a lot, um, and, you know, because of that, there's, like, this air of mystery around him. Um, but, like, I felt like I always want to learn more about him. And then I felt like by reading these books, or at least, like, okay, not all the books that I recommended, but, like, by reading the books that he recommended, um, I learned more about, like, you know, how they think, their experiences, their interiority, and, like, I was able to get, like, a much deeper sense of, like, my own family and maybe myself, like, by reading those books. At least reading Asian lit, I can't say this with Asian American lit, but, like, Asian people in Asia, like, they don't feel like they're being othered. Like, I mean, they're, like, they're the majority, totally, right? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So, like, um, I guess it was helpful for me, like, as a minority to, like, see that, like, interiority, like, reflected um, in a way that, like, wasn't othered. That was just, like, accepted, like, as is, like, as the norm. And I felt like parts of myself were, like, parts of myself that, like, I didn't really know how to put into words were, like, expressed, like, in those works in a way that just, like, accepted um, that as, like, the norm or something. How does your book series relate to um, your reaction to the news and, like, your ability to cope with it? Like, my book series is, like, an indirect response. Like, it's, like, a response, but it's, like, not that direct. And I think, like, um, yeah, I mean, at its root, like, racism is partially, like, not seeing other people as, like, full people, right? And I think, like... um even I, like, okay, I don't want to say even I, but, like, I mean, I am Asian, and, like, I also, like, saw, like, my family is, like, not full people, I guess, and so, like, yeah, I wanted to, like, share books that, like, maybe helped me, like, see um, Asian people as, like, full people, which, like, isn't even a thing that I should have to do, but, yeah. Can you explain what you mean by full people? Because, I mean, just knowing you as a person, I know you probably do pay a lot of attention to 
um, your family members and like what goes on at home. Um, so what what do you mean when you say not full people? I mean, okay, just like as an example, like I feel like in Asian culture, there's like a tendency to kind of like maybe not talk about emotion as much and like to have that stuff kind of like under the surface. I don't know about you, but like that like was not the thing in my family. Like, like let's just like talk about issues um, together. Um, but then I feel like, yeah, because of that, like, it's like, are these people like fully emotional beings um, and, you know, who experience life as, as much richness as like any other people? And then I felt like by like reading like Asian books, like it was very clear in front of me that the answer was yes. And maybe that is something I should have known from the start, but it was my process. So, yeah. That you and your family um, experience emotions deep enough that you could write a whole novel about it. Experience novels, like, you know, um, process, like, what's going on around us, like, process of historical events and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah deeply to that extent. And, like, yeah, with the characteristics that are, like, unique to um, Asian people, but, are, but that are also, like, very beautiful, I guess. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jessica over Zoom. To learn more about Asian American families, I talked to child and family psychiatrist Jang Cho, who is licensed to practice in California, Washington, New York, D.C., Virginia, and Maryland. One thing Dr. Cho and Jessica have in common is that they are West Coast Asians. So, instead of making them drinks, I got gift cards to Philly company La Colombe in hopes that they will try a draft latte shipped to their house. Enjoy! Well, hi, Amy. Uh, my name is Jane Cho. I, uh, by training, I am a child and adult psychiatrist. Um, I also identify myself as um, 1.5 generation uh, immigrant um, from Korea. Uh, I can say that uh, for me to say uh, that I'm 1.5 generation, that took a really long time to accept that identity. Um, but as an Olympic generation immigrant, child and adolescent psychiatrist, um, I um, actually see a lot of Asian Americans uh, in my practice. I also do a lot of um, what I call extracurricular uh, activities outside of my clinical practice. Um, so I, my specialty and passion is working with Asian American mental health and Asian international student mental health. Um, and so I've written books, textbooks. Um, I work with organizations that um, uh, do a lot of community outreach, um, community education, um, and also um, do a lot of talks and seminars for that. Um, otherwise, I am a mom of a four and a half year old Korean American girl um, and um, a wife and uh old lady worth living in a countryside. And also, before I forget, you know, from one podcaster to another, um, can you talk a little bit about your podcast? Oh, thank you. Jerry would have been very upset that I didn't even talk about the podcast. Um, so I am a co-host of a podcast that's um, now almost a year now. Um, it's called Korean American Parenting. Um, and so Jerry Wan, um, who... Um, 
for his other podcast here at Asian Americans. He's the host for that. Um, and we uh, co-host the Korean American Parenting Podcast. Um, we started out the podcast because um, out of our own frustration as um, young Korean American parents of young children um, and kind of you know, learning about um, the process of being a not only just a parent, but also a Korean American parent. And, you know, we, we had named the podcast Korean American Parenting instead of Asian American Parenting because we thought that between the two of us, our experience reflects Korean American. Um, obviously, there are a lot of overlap, um, um, but we didn't want to be, um, you know, overly um, kind of arrogant to say, oh, we include all Asian Americans um, because I don't have the experience as a parent. Um, so it's been a really good uh, journey, um, a lot of work, I'm sure Amy knows, um, but we've connected with a lot of other parents. Um, I think it was very, um, the, for me, um, it was uh, kind of my own frustration of trying to figure out the identity of myself, cultural identity, um, who I am, and then how do I raise my child in that cross-culture um, also, like, just concrete things, like, well, do I start my kid with Korean food as a baby food or American food? With, uh, as a, <laughs> you know, like, that little thing, there, there's some little differences um, that I, even as a, uh, as a uh, psychiat child psychiatrist and uh, after all this training, it, it's, we never talked about it. And then, and then how do I you know, talk about it because as a mom, um, you have so many new things to start with anyway. And then this is a whole new territory when you talk about cross culture and nobody talks about it. So it was a podcast started not because I want to teach people, but it was because I wanted to talk about my own frustration and grow with others. Um, so as she says, at least reading Asian lit, I can't say this with Asian American lit. They don't feel like they're being othered. So they're like the majority. And so that's actually really um, poignant to me um, because um, most Asian Americans that um, are, are either born here or came to the States as a young child and um, have lives here, we don't necessarily know what it feels like to be a majority. Um, and um, to kind of at least read about this world where you are not a minority. I think this is a whole new world that um, sometimes you don't even think about, right? So I think that's something that um, really stood out to me. And then, of course, um, my passion, she's talking about her family and kind of understanding her family and her parents. Um, I mean, I think we can talk about it forever. But, um, you know, this is a very... I, it gives me a lot of sense of like how mature she is or how, um, how, she, uh, you know, what kind of maturity she gained by reading these books because, you know, she talks about, well, I don't necessarily think about my family as a full people, their mom and dad, right? Um, and that's, that's for all kids, right? Uh, whether you're immigrant or minority or majority, but, um, for immigrant families, I think that is so, even more impactful because um, to me, like the biggest difficulty um, that a family of Im immigration um, really faces is the, um, the gap between the parents 
and the children. And um, there's so many layers, right? So like just, um, of course, there's age gap. Um, um, and there's some, a lot of times there's language gaps because not all kids are going to be fluent in their parents' native tongue when they're, um, you know, raised here in America or vice versa. Parents, not, not every parent will be uh, fluent enough in English. Um, but also the cultural gap, um, um, that really happens in cross-cultural families. Um, so there, ha- Ideally, there should be a way more effort, way more conversation um, within these families. But the truth is that it really doesn't happen, um, not only because of all these differences and difficulties, but also I think I find that like whether, um, you know, uh, we always talk about how Asian Americans are very heterogeneous. And I, when, when I think about heterogeneity of Asian Americans, I also think about um, how certain groups of um, immigrants Come get to come to America, right? Because there's a lot of difference between, um, well, like me, who, um, okay, I'll say it out. I was very privileged and I was sent to a boarding school, right? As opposed to someone who came through a boat, right? There, there's a different, um, layers and different experiences how you came, um, ended up here. But also, um, but at the same time, um, um, however smooth the transition might have looked, for anybody, I think it's a trauma, right? It's very traumatic, whether it was really great or bad. It, it was, um, you know, it's a tearing of attachment, um, tearing, uh, you know, loss and grief of what you're losing. And then the um, fear of unknown, um, all of that is really roped into immigrant experience. And um, for parent generation, I think um, it can be very taxing um, and I always find that, um, you know, parents' generation of immigrant families, they are all about survival. They, um, you know, they're focused on getting the food on the table, getting the housing, um, or, or, you know, getting your children the right education, whatever the right education they think it is. You know, it may be just getting to a college and nobody else did, or or even like just getting to just Harvard, right? Um, <laughs> um but whatever it is, there's a sense of like urgency and um, kind of like necessity. So um, when adults are focused on that, they don't necessarily um, share their own experience, um, good or bad, um, with their children. So um, I think it's really hard for immigrant children to see their parents as, you know, like an individual human being who had teenage years, who had first love, um, who had like heartbreaks, things like that. And so, um, you know, expectations and um, hopes about what that person's role is in the child's life is very different when you look at the, the mom or dad as the person who's gone through this experience. And so to me, um, Jessica talking about, um, you know, these literature, reading the literature and like thinking about, well, yeah, my mom and my dad must have had this like rich life that I don't know about. And they are actual human beings um, like me that have gone through different struggles that are mm, common. Also, like I can empathize. Um, I think it makes 
uh, the bond a little bit stronger and the love for them kind of grow. That was a really long-winded answer. No, that was perfect. And I think you answered um, a good part of my next question, which was about um, that immigrant kid sentiment of not seeing your parents as fully emotional human beings, um, which I guess adding to it, I did always feel like my family was like, you know, only emotional beings <laughs> in this family. Um, but I think I, you know, what she said resonated with me as well in terms of there are things, you know, that we just didn't talk about. Yeah. I mean, you know, like my, my family is a little bit different because my parents stayed uh, in the back country, but I, uh, you know, my mom is almost 70. This is very personal, but, um, uh, so she worked, she's an OBGYN. She was a very hardworking, um, like her own practice. I have always, uh, I always remember just working, right? And, um, I'm really being tired all the time. But lately in the past five years, um, she's really branched out. Like she's going out with her friends. She's going golfing with her friends. Um, uh, going traveling, like the other day, she said, "Oh, you know, like uh, my friend and I went to like this really um, famous restaurant, and we had to wait 40 minutes outside." And then, like my mom waiting for like 40 minutes for like a really famous restaurant, like only I do that, <laughs> like oh, and I don't even do that anymore because because that is too tired. But the fact that she takes joy in those things, um, like I had never seen my mom do those things before and now it really gives me a different light of like wow she is not just a physician and a mom who dedicates all their you know time and life into uh you know make making the family alive but she she has friends that um they share good and the bad and they enjoy like these fancy things once in a while and and you know it's just um like a very different light of who she is, um, and it gives me a lot of appreciation about what she's done for us, but also I'm so glad that she does have that life, right? Um, and so, like, you know, as I'm aging, um, <laughs> I, I think there's a, a, a little bit of difference in a kind of seeing uh, my parents in a uh, different uh, lens. And for Jessica to be able to do it through um, books in her 20s, I think it's actually really great. This is something that I do with my own patients, um, especially in kind of, you know, not maybe not through the books, but um, um, kind of like understanding what has gone on in their family life and how to make sense out of some of the conflicts or issues that have really impacted their life, um, right? Because you can have a, one event that happened to you at like seven years old. Um, you're going to have a different understanding of the event when you're 11, when you're 20, when you're 30, and then when you're 50. So um, I, my role as a therapist and psychiatrist is to help them roll that brain to figure out, have a bigger picture of what's happened in your life and how do we um, make sense out of it. In line with what you talked about differences, um, what is the impact of being in situations where you're the norm and not othered? You know, um, that's very interesting because um, that was one of the um, parts that Jessica was talking about that was uh, stood out to me. Um, 
So, you know, I had the privilege of being the norm um, because I grew up in Korea until uh, my middle school years, and I did go to Korean school. And I, you know, I was dorky, but I was, I would still say I'm, I was mainstream. <laughs> and um, I think it has good and the bad. So um, the good part is that you don't necessarily question your own identity or your being, right? Because you're the norm. Um, you fit into uh, whatever people expect you to be. Um, and so in, in uh, when you don't have to question your you being in that position or being in that place from the get-go, then you have so many so much more room left to explore other things, right? Like well, what you like, what are your hobbies, what you do, what do you think you like to do, or um, what do you think you are good at, like things like that, right? And so um, I think that's one of the things that are really great. Um, although I think on the flip side, um, I think it took me a long, long time to um, think about other people who might not be the norm, right? Um, and appreciating how difficult it might be for them. Um, and so, because you've never really experienced it, right? So, um, kind of, and, and I grew up in the 80s in Korea where it's very homogeneous. So uh, these are diversity, um, cross culture, you know, none of these were, um, even like, the topics were not there. And even when I moved over here, like, you know, that it was glossed over. My, I think I, my schooling was good in that they did touch on them, but, you know, it was like, I'm old. That was a long time ago. Um, so not as much as uh, how it is now or, or more blatantly talk about it or like people talk about we should educate people. So I think in a way it took a really long time to think about um, what it means to be a minority, even if I wasn't a minority. Um, and so, um, you know, that's this is the kind of the issue that we're um, kind of um, you know, facing as a minority in this country when major who, who people who are considered majority don't necessarily understand um, the nuances of being a minority, passive, you know, um, microaggression. Um, they don't even realize that it was a microaggression, and when you do um, point that out, they're very offended, right? Because their their intention wasn't to offend you, is what they're gonna say. But how do, you know, uh, all of these things, the very subtle nuances of being the minority and how do, how do we, um, achieve equity? I think, um, it's, it's hard when, when, when you have always been the norm. What is your reaction to anti-Asian violence as a psychiatrist passionate about Asian American mental health? So, you know, anti-Asian violence, I think, um, it's always been there, but we don't, we didn't ever talk about it. And I think um, in the past year or so, it's been so blatant and so um, detrimental, right? And I think it really shook Asian Americans up, right? So personally, I, I think all of this, for me, um, it had taken me almost like 20 years to uh, kind of come to terms with how I define myself in this country because of my um, kind of mm, unique immigration 
story because I wasn't coming here to immigrate. I was just coming here to get education and then and then ended up here. And so for a long time, uh, the identity was such a kind of um, difficult thing and where I fit in and stuff like that. And and um, it took a really long time for me to um, consciously choose to be a part of Asian American for me. And uh, when um, anti-Asian violence um, really started happening, um, I think it really shook my um, faith in America um, and how uh, what my place is as an Asian American. Um, and I think that's happened with a lot of people. Um, and I can't imagine, like, uh, you know, I, I still have um, some uh, connections to Korea. My parents still live there. But for people like my daughter, she's still young, but she was born here, raised here. She's going to be a, uh, she's got, you know, from the moment that she was born here, she had to consider herself a, a American. Someone like that, I think it really shakes up their core to, like, figure out, well, you know, if I am not welcome into my own country, like, what happens? Right. So I think that's um, really detrimental to mental health and um, it's been very difficult. Now, I do think I would say there is a little bit of uh, silver lining because I've seen um, young adults, young professionals that are Asian Americans um, seeking out therapy, um, um, especially through this past time, um, a, a drastic increase in that. Um, and obviously, because it is really hard time for them for us, but also at the same time, it's really lowered uh, barriers and threshold um, for, uh, you know, young people, young Asian Americans to think about their well-being and mental wellness. And so that's something that I do think is a silver lining and hope, hope to continue to see that trend.